The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. So on the first of this year in January, when I restarted my devotional reading of the Bible, I decided to go from the beginning of the Bible straight through to the end. So I got a chance to read the book of Genesis just a few weeks ago, you know, from beginning to end, and it struck me that Genesis is a book that really finds its culmination in the life of Joseph. I mean, Joseph has given 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. Really, the, 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 the high point, the climax of the book comes when the people, the children of Israel, are brought into safety and protection in the land of Egypt. And this reading came up today, and I thought about the life lessons that we could draw from the life of this man named Joseph. I think there's four of them for us this morning. And, you know, the story of Joseph is the story of a very dysfunctional family. Uh, Now, this family's dysfunction started with a breakdown of what God's design was for marriage. Right? God's design for marriage is one man, one woman for life. But that didn't work for a man named Jacob. You see, Jacob, he had his sights set on Rachel, and when he found himself married to her sister Leah, well, Jacob decided that God's plan for marriage wasn't something that was going to work for him, so he went ahead and he married Rachel too. Now, if you think about a marriage to two sisters, maybe that might be the definition of dysfunctional, right? And things, things got worse from there. You see, the real problem was that Jacob only loved Rachel. He didn't love Leah. But Leah, Leah could produce children for him. And Rachel, his beloved, was barren. Things got even worse. Rachel, she's all torn up about the fact that she couldn't have children. So she came up with a plan that could somehow make this marriage even more dysfunctional. She comes to Jacob and says, I can't have any children, so I want you to marry my maidservant so she can have children for me. And Jacob goes, okay. <laughs> then Leah, Leah was not going to stand by, so she said, if you're going to marry her maidservant, well, then you need to marry my maidservant so she can have children for me. And you can guess what Jacob said to that too. Imagine this. Two headwives, two servant wives, children born from three of them, ten boys in all, ten boys with three different mothers by the same father, living in the same house, and none of those three mothers were loved, just Rachel was. We want to talk about dysfunctional. Maybe this is the first life lesson that we can draw out of the life of the family of Joseph. Um, Anything other than God's plan for marriage isn't just dysfunctional, but it courts disaster. God's plan is that one man and one woman be united to each other for life. No one else, nothing else. Anything other than that plan isn't just dysfunctional, it it courts disaster. And you can see that played out in the life of Joseph's family. You know, I don't know why Joseph, excuse me, why Jacob did this. 
He might have had reasons. He might have had rationales. He might actually just think like the modern world does today, that God's design for marriage is nice and all, but it seems a little quaint and maybe a little outdated. But here's the truth. Here's the truth that the world won't tell you, that no matter what rationale we might give ourselves, no matter what emotions we might feel that try to make it seem right, this, uh, this hook-up, shack-up, break-up culture in which we live, it cannot deliver the joy that it promises. It cannot deliver the fulfillment it promises because by its very nature, it's dysfunctional. The one plan meant to bless us was the plan made by the person who loves you most in the whole universe. So regardless of what this world wants to say about family and marriage, and you can learn a lesson here from the life of Joseph, if we go away from God's plan for marriage, we're courting disaster and dysfunction. And you could see what happened, especially when Rachel finally got pregnant. She gave birth to a boy, and they named him Joseph. The problem wasn't that she gave birth to a boy. The problem was that Jacob favored this child over all the other ones. And it wasn't just that he was daddy's favorite. It was that daddy didn't make any effort to try to conceal the fact that Joseph was his favorite of all of his children because he was the son of his beloved Rachel. And his brothers hated him for it. Hated him for it. You know, and uh, now because Joseph was his dad's favorite, when he got a little bit older, his dad used to send him out to check check up on his brothers. Now here's the thing with Joseph. Joseph was an extremely honest person, and we'll find out later that if Joseph got a job, he was going to do it well every single time. And if the job that his father gave him was to report on his brother's work, he would not be afraid to bring back an honest report, even if his brothers were slacking off. And his brothers hated him for it. And then there was that stupid robe. Their dad gives to Joseph, just Joseph, this uh, richly ornamented robe, this coat of many colors, so he can walk around looking like a little princeling. His brothers hated him for it. Then there were the dreams. Joseph is 17 years old at this point, and he uh, approaches his adult brothers, and he said, I had a dream last night. We, we were all out in the field cutting wheat, and we were stacking up stacks of grain, and my stack of grain stood up tall, and your stacks of grain gathered around and bowed down to it. <laughs> Can you imagine how that went over? How would you feel? What they said was, Do you really intend to reign and to rule over us? And they hated him for it. Their hatred burned so brightly that it just needed an opportunity to express itself. That moment came when they were far away from home, tending the flocks of their father, and they look up and they saw that gaudy robe coming. Here comes Joseph, a little princeling, check up on his brothers, and they couldn't take it anymore. And they said, 
Let's kill him. After they had seized Joseph, they couldn't, they couldn't carry it out. They couldn't kill their father's son. But before you think this is a redeemable part of the story, the brothers might not have been able to kill their father's son, but when they saw a passing caravan, they bound his hands and passed him off and sold him into a lifetime of slavery for eight pieces of silver. Then they took that robe that they hated so much and they poured goat's blood on it. And then they took it back and gave it to their dad who wept because his favorite son was gone. Of course, Joseph was very much alive, um, but he was nobody's favorite anymore. No. Sold as a slave to Egypt, he could look forward to only a lifetime of, of servitude and maybe a short life at that. Could you, could you find a place in life where you're more at rock bottom than this? Betrayed by your brothers, sold into slavery. But it's really interesting, at this point, at this point in the narrative, in the darkest part of Joseph's life, there's this really interesting thing that the Bible says. It says this, the Lord was with Joseph. The very rock bottom of his life, that's when the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph. Now here, here's another life lesson for us to take from this story. Um, when tragedy falls into your lap, when the world seems to be closing in around you, or you know, a place where you feel like you have absolutely no hope, God promises you that he's with you. He promises you that he's with you and that he is working to use all the things in your life for your good, even if you can't see it now. That sentence there in the middle of Joseph's narrative was meant to remind us that even when Joseph seemed abandoned and alone, the Lord was with him. And you could see what happened with God being around. So Joseph is one of these guys who was just incredibly talented. You could give him any job and he'd do well at it, right? He would excel no matter what you asked him to do. And so he was sold to a man named Potiphar. And it didn't take very long for Joseph to become the most trusted servant in Potiphar's household. So much so that eventually Potiphar made him his steward. So a steward would be the, the number one servant in the household. You're in charge of your master's money and his servants and his property. You're basically, you're basically in charge of the whole household when your master's gone. Uh, it was the most trusted position to be in. The Lord was with Joseph. Things were looking up. I mean, if you're going to be a slave, this was not a bad way to end. But you know... Joseph hadn't hit rock bottom yet. Potiphar had a wife, and Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph, and he was young and attractive, and she wanted to have an affair with him. Boy, what should Joseph do? I mean, could he go along with this? What would happen if he rejected her? Here's the thing. 
Joseph said the most beautiful words. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knew what God's plan for marriage was, and he was not going to do that wicked thing. He said exactly the right thing and had exactly the right attitude, but here's a lesson we can learn from Joseph. You can do exactly the right thing, say exactly the right words, and have exactly the right attitude and still have things go very, very badly. God does not promise that just because we give a godly response, just because we stand up for our faith, just because we make the right moral choice, God doesn't promise us that things will go well with us. What happened to Joseph was he spurned Potiphar's wife, and so she accused this foreign slave of raping her, and he was sent to prison. You know, he thought he had been at rock bottom. Have you ever been at that point in your life where you think, it just, it can't get worse than this? And then you realize, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it can. I mean, now here is Joseph in prison for something he didn't do, having been abandoned by everyone he knew, and he was stuck there, the Bible said, for years. For years. In the darkest places of his life, though, that word comes back, the Lord was with Joseph. Turns out uh, Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt, he had a dream that no one could interpret for him. And his cupbearer, one of his personal servants, he remembered that there was a guy, a prisoner named Joseph, who could interpret, it seems like, anybody's dreams. So all of a sudden, Joseph is yanked up out of the darkness of the dungeon, brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh told him his dream. He said, I saw the river Nile, and seven fat cows came up out of the river. But after that, seven skinny cows came up out of the river, and they devoured the fat ones. And no one can tell me what this means. But the Lord was with Joseph and told him exactly what it meant. And Joseph told the Pharaoh, he said, those seven fat cows, those are going to be seven bumper harvests, the best harvest is, or, uh, excuse me, Egypt has ever seen. Seven years of harvest that are going to be incomparable to what's come before it. But the seven lean cows, those are seven years of famine. And after those seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine, a famine unlike this region has never seen before. So Joseph said to Pharaoh, he said, appoint a man to take charge of the kingdom. And over the next seven years of these bumper crops, take 20% of every one of those years' harvest and put it aside to, so that Egypt can live through the lean years that are sure to follow. Well, here's an amazing thing. In this too, the Bible says that the Pharaoh could tell that the Lord was with Joseph. And he appointed him to do this thing, to be vizier, actually, the second in command of Egypt, to oversee the agricultural sector, to prepare for the seven years of famine by taking advantage of the seven years of plenty. Thirteen years since being sold as a slave, Jake, or Joseph is now the second in command of the world's only superpower. Think about this reversal of fortune in 13 years. Joseph is literally at the top of the world. And 
with 2020 hindsight being what it is, he could look back and see all those awful things that had happened to him, God used to put him right here, right now. God used them for his good even when he couldn't see why they would possibly have happened to him. You know, here's the thing. When, when bad things happen in our life, we are not always given the perspective to be able to see how God could possibly use them for our good. Uh, we might not see how they're there for our good after 13 years like Joseph did. Some of the bad things that happen in our life, we not, might not be able to see the purpose for them this side of heaven. But here's a lesson to learn from the life of Joseph. We can trust in our God whether we're at rock bottom or we're on the top of the world because he said the Lord is with us. Well, so Joseph did it. Carried out this plan. God's promises came true. Seven years of crops like you've never seen before. And Joseph was in charge of gathering the surpluses into the granaries of Pharaoh. They said they gathered in so much grain that eventually they just stopped counting it because they, they, they couldn't keep track of how much grain they had. So much grain that when the years of famine came, they had more than enough grain for Egypt. They had plenty of grain for Pharaoh to sell to people from the surrounding areas too. And it was much needed because as God predicted, the famine was like none before it. And outside of Egypt, people were on the edge of starvation. Egypt had grain to spare. That's what uh, Father Jacob had heard. Heard from travelers that Egypt had so much grain they were selling it even to foreigners. So Father Jacob tells his 11 boys, go to Egypt, buy grain, otherwise we're going to starve. So when those brothers were traveling the caravan route to Egypt, I wonder if they they thought about the brother that they had sent on this journey 13 years earlier. Were they filled with regret? Or was it one of those things you just don't deal with emotionally and you just shove back down in the box inside? Well, they get to Egypt, and as foreigners coming to buy grain, they had to receive permission. Uh, And the person in charge of giving permission and selling grain to foreigners was the vizier. Uh, The vizier was this famous man in Egypt. He was the architect of of Egypt's salvation. He was the second in command of the country. Uh, His name was Zaphoneth Paneah. But his old name was Joseph. His brothers came before this man who was dressed in Egyptian robes of royalty and speaking the Egyptian language and ruling over the Egyptian people, and they did not recognize Zaphoneth Paneah but he recognized them. And then they bowed down before him. And Joseph's life had come full circle to that dream and the stalks of green. Man, could you imagine a better revenge scenario? I mean, could you imagine these people, these people who tried to kill you, these people who sold you as a slave, These people who took your robe full of blood and gave it to your dad and said you were torn up by wild animals. These people who resulted in you being not just a slave, but a prisoner. 
Now they're here and you have absolute control over them. You could do to them whatever you want. Could you pick a better revenge scenario than this? What would you have done? I don't know what I would have, but I'm a little scared to think of the possibilities. The thing he did, it, it boggles the mind. And it's another lesson that we can learn from this life of Joseph, maybe the most important one. Here at the culmination of the book of Genesis, in the most perfect revenge scenario possible that you could think of, all we see is grace. He says, I'm Joseph. I'm the brother you sold into slavery. Don't be afraid. The Bible says they couldn't even speak because of how terrified they were. We find out later they stayed scared of Joseph for a very long time because they couldn't believe that someone that they had done that to could possibly be willing to forgive them. But Joseph said, you acted with evil intent, but God used it for good. I'm here to save lives, not just the lives of all these Egyptians, but the lives of my family too, the lives of the family who carries the bloodline of the Savior. Come, live here, and I will provide for you. What lessons can your family draw from the life of Joseph this morning? I, I don't know if you're in the middle of seven fat years right now or if you're in the middle of seven lean ones. I don't know if uh, you feel like you've been sold out or if you feel like you've been imprisoned by your emotions or your health. I don't know if you feel frustrated or lost. I don't know if you have more questions about your faith than answers, but I do know one thing. That one little phrase that was always there in the darkest parts of Joseph's life is a phrase that God wants to emblazon on your life, whether you're at the top of the world or whether you are at rock bottom. Just like he was with Joseph, God has promised. The Lord is with you. Amen.